turn together to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We have a lot of work to do tonight. We're going to tackle a lot of, uh, like a big passage. Um, and there's tonight and there's next week. And then that wraps up our like nine-month series, uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, we've been in this book for a while and there are a lot of, uh, a lot of themes. Um, there's just a lot in this letter. And as he's wrapping up, uh, he, there's a lot of detail that normally um, we would cover, that we've covered so much that I'm not going to cover it all. Okay, So, uh, so, just, so just know that it's going to seem like we're skipping over a lot of stuff, but there's, there's, these are things he's already addressed in the letter. He's kind of bringing them back out at different points. And so uh, don't think that we're doing injustice to this many verses. We've, just, we've done a lot of justice for a lot of months. And so we're going to, I'm just going to pull out some of the bigger things. But he kind of does a good review here in the first couple of verses um, of where he's been talking. So look at verse 11, chapter 12. It says, I've been a fool, you forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing. Okay? So he's spent the, what's led up to this in the letter. Um, you had these fake uh, teachers coming in, and they were claiming to be apostles also, and they were full of deceit, full of lies, full of schemes. And so a part of this letter is devoted to um, just deconstructing all of their arguments um, as they promoted themselves and as they tried to um, take all the legitimacy away from Paul's ministry. And so Paul is countering that. He's, um, tearing, he's, he's making them, um, he's taking their legitimacy away, and he is um, just instilling his authority as given to him by Christ. And so that's kind of what he's, what he's getting at. Uh, and so when he talks about being a fool, he's just, um, they, were all, they were boasting in themselves. And so he spent a part of the letter saying, okay, if you want me to boast in myself, I'll boast too. And he lists all this bad stuff. Um, and just saying, he's like, what I've learned is that in my weakest moments, it's then I'm actually the strongest. And so, um, so that's the first part of the context to remember is that He's been uh, addressing these super apostles, as, as he called them. And what he just told him in that verse was like, look, I shouldn't even have to defend myself. Um, you should have defended me because you know me. And uh, I shouldn't even have had to go there, but I did, and it's okay, and, and all that. Uh, so verse 12 says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Okay? Um, He's saying that these you experienced with me uh, signs and wonders and mighty works. You experienced the the true signs of an apostle. These guys come in and there's nothing about their credentials that is that is in line with what God set up. And so um, again, he's just deconstructing their argument. In verse thirteen, this for in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Uh, he's talking specifically about the fact that these. False teachers came in, and not only, did they, not only did they bring to the table a lot of false doctrine and false credentials, but they're also trying to get money from the people. And so they're trying to collect these offerings to be able to pay for their expenses, and at the same time, they were mocking Paul because he didn't try to take money from the people when he was there. And, and so Paul is you know, he's saying, look, I, I'm sorry I didn't burden you uh, with trying to get your money. My bad on that, you know. So he's kind of being sarcastic, a little bit of candor here, a little bit of honesty. Um, and so those are some of the things he's addressing uh, at this point 
kind of in summation. The false teachers, their lack of credentials, his tremendous credentials being that Jesus himself commissioned him. Um, the, the signs and wonders of God were performed through him and that he came into their midst to minister to them freely without asking for a dime from them. Um, and so he's kind of built his case. And that's sort of summation of where he's, he's been for a while, of saying, like, look, they're not the real deal. And in all humility, I'm just telling you that, that I am. That I'm a true apostle with true apostolic authority that has come to you. I'm the genuine article, and they are the fakes. Uh, and he does this in such a way that there's a lot, of, a lot of humility, and he's not trying to promote himself, but he's saying, look, you're forcing me to, tell you, to put it this way when I really shouldn't have to. You should be able to, to, to see all that stuff naturally, but you've been blinded by these false teachers. And so, um, and so after saying that those things, he's about to, to get into some, like, some, some good stuff. And, and a lot of it, like I said, we've covered. So I'm going to pull out three, like, three significant things that I think are for us tonight in, in this text. Um, so I just want to read from here until uh, into chapter 13, almost, almost the whole chapter. Because uh, I want you to, li- I want to cover the whole thing uh, really quickly. So let's look at this verse 14. Um, Here for the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent my brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did, he, did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It's in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he's not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by, power, by the power of God. For we also are weak in Him, but in dealing with you, we will live with Him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not, that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, that we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when you are weak. We are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. 
For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Okay, a lot of verses, a lot of stuff he covers, and you can already hear, especially like, like if you've been, been really like, um, like in that groove through this series, this, you hear some, some very familiar themes that are in there, and those are some of the things we're not going to deal with. But I want to bring out three, three big ideas that, that I think are um, important for us tonight. The first one is, um, is that Paul, Paul is he's for them. He's, he's for them. He's just gone through this really, um, really painful experience, written the painful letter. Um, he's sat, sat down written this letter that's very, that's very aggressive. Um, he, uh, 1 Corinthians was very aggressive. He lived with them for 18 months. Um, he, he loves this church. And some, I don't know why people feel the need to compare stuff, but... Some say that, that the Corinthian church was the, like the closest to his heart. Um, that, that there was something about them that just gripped him differently than the other churches. And, and maybe it was because, I mean, you, you ever know somebody who, um, who is like just living in such a way that it's just not who they are. And they're, and they're destroying themselves over and over again, uh, somehow, wh- whatever it might be. And you know, it just breaks your heart to see them not be themselves and to see them go down this road. And, and it just, there's a part of you that it makes you mad, but mo- most of you just like, you love them so much, you just, it just kills you to watch them go through that. I think that's, that's a lot of what it is. I think he loves them so much that he is, is really just shaken to the core to watch them walk in such rebellion and, and sin and such deceit and have these false teachers coming in to lie to his, um, to his kids is, is how he, he talks about them. Um, but he is he's for them, and even when he has to to have some of that tough love, and he has to be aggressive with them, and and he he has to and he talks about like not sparing them, you know, and and how if I come again and things aren't aren't different, like like I'm going to have to exercise that authority, and you kind of get that tone of that parent who's like, you, you know, it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you, kind of thing of like it breaks my heart to have to discipline you, but I'm going to discipline you because I love you. That discipline is love. Um, you see that in him, but look at look at. Uh, I had to make this list a few minutes ago because I kept like forgetting to do it. Um, but look, look at the phrases that are used. Verse fourteen in chapter twelve um, it says, "Here, time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden." Listen to this: "For I seek not what is yours, but you." He's talking about money right there. He's saying, "I'm not after your money. I'm after you." I don't want your money. I want you. I think about like how uh, in so many churches the like the like high rollers are kind of catered to, you know, to kind of keep the budget going and everything. And 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 I used to wonder that when I was younger, like before I became a pastor. Like when when you become a pastor, like like how do you let people? Let's let's say that we have like a like multimillionaire that joins our church tonight. Be cool, uh, but. Let's just say that that happens. Like, how do you let that person know? Like, I want to know you, and not because you have money. I'm after you, not what is yours, not after your stuff. And that's his heart for them. 
He's like, I don't care about your possessions. I don't care about that stuff. It's not what I'm after. I want to know you. You look at verse 15. Um, it says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will spend and be spent for your souls, and I'll do it gladly. Like, I will give everything, everything in me I will give for you because your soul is what is important to me. Or last week we talked about the, about the kingdom and how it's not about stuff. It's not about all this kind of stuff. It's about people's souls. He's saying, I will, my entire life can be spent on behalf of you. Verse 20. For I fear, fear that perhaps when I come, I may not find you as I wish. He, he fears that. He's worried that when he shows up, things aren't going to be like he had hoped. He's worried that when he shows up, there'll be these things that he lists. Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder. I fear that when I come again, God may humble me before you and I have to mourn, I have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity and all that stuff. To, to have a connection with somebody that their sin evokes mourning in you. Not anger, not frustration, not judgment, that you mourn over it, that you're grieving over the sins of your like brothers and sisters in Christ. He's, he's for them. He's connected to them. Uh, look at verse 9 in chapter 13. We are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Your restoration is what we pray for. But that's what's driving him. Like, I want to see these people restored. Last verse, verse 10. This reason I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in use of my authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. It says the Lord has given me authority, but that authority is not to come in and just beat you up and get you acting right. It's about building, building you up. He sent me in as a pastor to build, to build you for your good, for your restoration. I'll gladly spend and be spent for you. I'm after you, not what is yours. These are, these are heartfelt, genuine uh, expressions that Paul is, is conveying to this church. And I think him being for them is not, it's not this thing that's like, wow, that's so rare. No, he's, Paul is seeking the kingdom, like we talked about last week. And he has a, like, a godly perspective that he looks at this church through. Like the lens that he's looking through, in, in, as far as these people go, is one that is full of grace and full of hope and full of love. One where when you look at them and there's sin, what is evoked is, is grief and mourning. Like I said, not judgment and not anger. He's for them. Now for us, I think, uh, I think that's a challenging place for us to be. Because I think that, that all of us probably have some people in our lives that we could say that we, we're, we feel that, that same way about them. You know, we're for them just like Paul was for this church, you know. We have those people, 
where you're not after their stuff. Like you, you love them. You want to know them. You would, you would be completely spent as a person. You would give all of your energy and all of your efforts to, for whatever they needed. You want their restoration. You mourn over their sin. You grieve with them. Some of, we have those connections with a few people. And, that, and that's tremendous. And, and to, be, to be honest, I mean, you, that's, that's kind of rare. There's not, that kind of relationship is not super common in our day and age. Um, but I think part of the challenge is to go beyond those, those three or four people that we may feel that connection to. For that, for that to become a, a wider perspective that we have. Because he's not writing to a couple of people in the church that he feels that way. He's writing to these people who have basically like rebelled from him, um, who have fallen into deception, who have not defended him, who have acted like they didn't really know who he was, that they weren't, um, they weren't his like spiritual siblings. Um, they are not reciprocating that same love and care that he has shown to them. And I think that's, that's harder uh, because chances are the people that you are for, they're also for you. And so, okay, we're for each other, and that works, I like, that works well. But Paul is for people who are not for him. They're, he's for these people who have kind of snubbed him and looked the other way. And they have people that have broken his heart. And the only, the only way that that is possible is that God has given him a perspective on these people. Like God has gripped his heart in such a way that he, it doesn't matter if they return that to him or not. That it's not conditional. It's not, um, as, long as, as long as you love me that way, I'll love you in, in return that way. It's, it's not only unconditional, it's, it's counter-conditional. It's in spite of the, those kinds of things, he still, he still sees them that way. And it just doesn't stop. It just doesn't stop. I think that is a that is something that a challenge that we should not just like chalk it up to be like okay well Paul's awesome that'll never happen for me because while Paul is awesome there's no it's not like Paul has more of the spirit of God at work in him than you do than I do it's just, it's the same same spirit same amount of power. Same Jesus that died on the cross. Same Father's good pleasure that wants to give Him the kingdom as give you the kingdom. I mean, it's, it's all the same. And so, for us to really desire, like, to get to that point where like, I want to look at, at people that way. Like, I want to see them that way. I want to be for people. I want sin to break my heart and not just make me mad and not just make me judge them and talk about them. Like, I want, I want that. I want that not just for my friends and my family, but I, I want that across the board in our church. I want that for coworkers of mine and neighbors and stuff. Like, I want to be for people. To the point that when people I know that, and they don't know the Lord, that kills me. That I weep over their salvation. That I, that, that is, like, I am just constantly, constantly um, interceding for them and going after like they're like that's just it. That's what's driving me. And I think that it's like the, that's a part of what it, the father. It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That God wants to do that. He wants to do that among us in this family of faith. But he wants to take that out beyond the walls as well. 
Like being for people. Because the truth is, God is for people. He's for them. And I think that's why Paul's for them. So I think for us, we've talked about this for a while, to continue to let God show us how he feels about people. God, how do you feel about this person I work with? How do you feel about um, this neighbor of mine? How do you feel about this person in my family that I can't stand? How do you feel about this roommate of mine? How do you feel about this classmate of mine? How do you feel about this person? And I believe that the key, the key to that is you, you, read, you read the prayers of Paul all throughout his letters, and he is, like, he is constantly interceding and praying for the people in these churches. And the people that we are not for are the people we're not praying for. You take that person that you can't stand, or you're like, I know I'm not for that person, I'm not for that person. Well, you start praying for that person. And your heart begins to change and to soften. You pray for them, and you pray for them, and you pray for them, and the next thing you know, you're for them because God's taken your mind that's been off track and lined it up with his mind for them. You're like, oh, okay, I see. So if you want to be for people, then you start praying for people. I think that's the key with Paul. And that's the key for us. Second thing to bring out in this, um, look at chapter 13, verse 3. It says, Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. All right? So they, they were wanting to make sure that his authority, that when he spoke, he really was speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ as one sent and commissioned and all that kind of stuff. And so Paul, he's already said it. He's like, look, there's been signs and wonders and miraculous things. I lived with you. You saw the Spirit of God move. You've been looking for, for all that. And so contextually, what he's saying, what he's talking about here, when he talk, in the second, he talks about God not being weak among them, but powerful among them, is he's like, look, uh, if you're going to challenge the authority of Jesus, then you need to know that you're dealing with strong Jesus. Like if you wanna, if you really wanna, wanna question that, um, just be ready. If you wanna doubt that he has really done what he said that he's done, then you're gonna be dealing with some strength. That's why he says in verse, uh, the next part of that verse, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. I kind of got hung up, hung up on that, especially the part where he says, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. So for them, he's talking about, it's kind of a negative thing, like, look, you know, don't challenge him. I really started thinking about that in a different sense, in more of a devotional sense, that he is not weak among us, that he is powerful among us. I think sometimes we, we forget the strength and the power of God that, that 
Is it work with, within us that is work at work among us? I think sometimes our prayers are are kind of too like you know like in in like different depictions of the crucifixion or of Jesus or whatever. He's always like kind of a wimp, you know. Like he's real like I don't know. I won't describe him because I might end up describing one of y'all. I don't know. That's like always one of my fears that I'll like just talk about something and like you next next thing you know it's like. Uh, yeah, like Jesus in like plaid shorts and a black shirt. Matthew's sitting here like, oh, what? What? It's me. Uh, so I won't describe or whatever. But, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like some of those depictions of art, like he just looks, he looks puny. He always looks, he looks sad. And he looks like he's just real like pathetic. And I just, I don't think that Jesus was like a, that he was a wimp. I mean, even describing him as meek, like that's, that's not, that's not weakness. That meekness is like is an incredible amount of strength and character. I just don't think that Jesus was weak. And regardless of the like the art things or whatever, and you see him on the cross and he's all whatever, like yeah, he was weak in that moment because he had been physically beaten and all that kind of stuff. I think sometimes when we're praying, we 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 lose sight of the amazing strength. That is Jesus, and that is at work among us, between you and I. We forget that he's, that he's powerful. We forget that he um, you know, created the universe, that he holds the universe together. We forget the fact that he um, lived on this earth for 33 or so years and never sinned one time. That he was dependent on the Spirit like you and I were, that he... Um, had to get up early to go and pray like you and I should be, that he got to points where he didn't know what to do and he had to depend on the guidance of, of the Father and the Spirit, um, that he uh, was betrayed by his friends um, and was handed over by one of his closest disciples, that he watched his disciples deny him, um, that, <clears throat> that he was abandoned, that he was physically beaten, that he... Um, had the father turn away from him, that he had like the guilt of sin piled on him that he did not deserve, that he had to endure the wrath of the father, that he was the only one who knew exactly how terrible that would be, that, that he went, went through all of those things, that he grieved, that he had to grow up, that he, he had to eat, that he was hungry, that he walked everywhere, that he experienced all these things. And, and, and yet, um, all the way through the cross... When he comes back from the grave, who does he want to see? The ones who betrayed him. Who does he make sure comes there? Peter, the one who denied him. The ones who had no faith, the ones who struggled, the ones who never seemed to get it. And he hands over the keys to the, to the church and says, I'm going to build my church on you. You're going to go. Here's my authority. I mean, what strength of character, what strength of heart, what, what strength of, of vision. There's just this, this amazing kind of power that is Jesus. He's not weak among us. He 
These songs that we sing, we never sing a song to weak Jesus. It's all about strength and all about power, but sometimes when it comes time to pray to Him, don't you ever feel like sometimes you're, you're kind of praying to a different Jesus than we sing about sometimes? Sometimes we pray full of, full of doubt and full of wonder and kind of half-hearted in it. Or, even worse, we just don't pray. Because we don't really believe that He is powerfully at work among us. That He is able to do whatever it is. That Jesus Christ really does have the power to change any human life. So, I mean, if we really believe that, then maybe we wouldn't be so insecure about our prayer lives. Maybe we would be more driven to pray. Maybe... Maybe that wouldn't be something that we're so like streaky about or up and down about or inconsistent about. He is not weak among us. He is powerful among us. And He wants to display that power, show off that power. Um, when, when we say Jesus Christ is the power to whatever, that's what we do on our prayer cards. We say Jesus Christ is the power to dot, dot, dot. And we're supposed to fill in that next part. He has the power to... Give me, give me a job. Help my financial situation. Heal our marriage. Um, you know, heal, heal my you know, grandmother or do, whatever it is. Whatever it is that you want to put in there. But we, we do that on purpose because we believe that He has the power to do those things. Because we have seen power displayed all throughout this book. And we have experienced His power at work in our lives. So that's got to transfer into like, your prayer life and my prayer life. It's got to make a difference. And I think that if we if we we can look at our prayer lives and we can see what what kind of Jesus we really believe in. We believe in powerful Jesus. We we pray. Sometimes our Jesus is a little too weak, a little too safe, a little too distant, a little too uninterested. And maybe one of the most powerful things he can do for us right now is to take us from whatever misconception we have about him in reality and bring us to the point where Jesus is the powerful Jesus again. He's the powerful one that we look to, that we pray to, that we need, that we depend on, that we abide in. And so maybe maybe that's the part of this that God has for you tonight. I don't know. Look at the last one. Verse 5. It says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Alright? That's kind of weird. And he's not talking about, when he says, um, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, he's not talking about, Test yourself to find out if you are really a Christian. Like if you have crossed over from death into life, if you are saved, if you are... Like he's not saying that. He's saying, examine yourself, test yourself to see if you are really walking in what you believe or not. Like I was just talking about with, with power and, and prayer. He's saying, examine, examine your life to see if, you, if there is a consistency between what you say you believe and the way that you live. Now you know me, and you know that one of my like hangups is like I don't want us to be a behavior modification church. By behavior modification, I mean this: 
that, that you walk away from things saying like, okay, well, I just need to stop doing the wrong things and start doing the right things, and everything will be okay. Because then you're just fixing external stuff and you're not dealing with the heart issue. Okay? So that's not what, what we're saying is examine your life, and then if you're doing stuff you shouldn't do, then you quit doing that. That's not what we're getting at. But there is, there is a, like, inward transformation will produce certain fruits in our lives. And so there will be behaviors that come out of that inward transformation. And so what Paul's telling them is, like, look, look at what you're doing. Examine your lives and see where the inconsistencies are and then deal with those inconsistencies. And he's being, being kind of rhetorical when he says, or do you not re- realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless, unless you fail to meet the test. And the Greek scholars and stuff talk about just how that, he's, he's being very rhetorical there because he knows that they're believers because he, he led them to Christ. Like he knows that. There's supposed to be a little bit, or unless you don't realize that Jesus is in you, like, oh, no, 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 I know, I know, I know. There's not saying, look at your behavior to see if you're saved. He's saying, look at your behavior to see if you're living in such a way that's consistent with who you are or not. I think it's, the, it's that, that incredible benefit of, like, being self-aware. Of asking yourself, how how am I doing, really? What does my life look like? I say I believe that Jesus Christ has the power to change any human life, but yet I'm I don't pray like it. I say that my desire is to seek the kingdom, but but that doesn't impact at all my finances. I I say that I that I'm for people, but yet I don't give a rip about people I work with or live around. I say that this is is what I'm all about, and I sing my heart out at church, and I'm all about this in community group, but when it it really comes down to it, um, it's not the way that I live. Paul's pushing them. He's saying, really, really look, look at what's going on with you. And then you do something about it. Well, he goes on to say, look, I'm all about your restoration, and I'm pushing you hard because I love you. Because God's given me authority to use, and it's for your building up, not for your tearing down. But you need to examine your heart, examine your mind, examine your life. And that's one of the things here at the ring that I feel like we... Um, that we push each other to do, uh, and sometimes that's uncomfortable. And there are plenty of people who don't like that. They don't want to be pushed. They don't want to go to church to be. They don't want to be challenged. They want to be challenged just a little bit, but not to the point where where it hurts. They don't want brokenness. They don't want to have to like confess sin. They don't want to have to seek discipleship in something. They don't want to, have to admit the fact that hey, I'm not exactly uh, like everything that you perceive me to be. Um, they don't want that vulnerability. They don't want that transparency. But we try hard to keep pushing each other in that direction. That's why we do our services the way we do. That's why at the end of the sermon we spend a little bit of time reflecting and responding and really trying to see, 
That's, that's, there's just a lot that we try and do. I'm not saying that we're great at it. I'm not saying that we knock it out of the park all the time, but, but we try to push you, push one another to examine ourselves. I don't know, like, I don't know how, how that works for you. I don't, sometimes I don't even know how it works for me. To be able to sit down with the Lord and say, okay, you, you search me. Be like David, search my heart. Test me. Try me. See if there's any, anything in me that is inconsistent, that doesn't line up. And then you lead me in the way everlasting. You, you show me where to go from here. And so even you take the examples from the first two points. You take, take um, being for people and having that divine perspective on people. And you say, um, let me examine myself. Let me examine my life, examine my heart, examine what my life looks like. Am I for people? Go to the second one about power. Do I, do I live? Do I pray? Do I worship? Do I, am I consistently like, living out my belief that Jesus Christ has the power to do anything? You examine yourself. You say, God, will you search me? Will you bring this to the service? Will you show me what it is? And will you show me what to do about it? What Paul's pushing them to do. I think... Through the Scriptures, the Spirit pushes us to do the same thing. And all the while, we have to remember that God is for us. That God does not do that so He can come in and crush us. Like Paul says, um, it's for our building up and not for our tearing down. That God wants to take us wherever we are and progressively change us by bringing us like, through through these different things and through these trials and through these whatevers, but he wants to refine in us whatever it might be that needs to be refined. He wants to make us look more like him. And so I believe that the gospel, that everything about Jesus is very much come, come as you are, but I say this a lot, but don't plan to stay like you are. Paul's writing to this group of people and he's saying, he's saying, um, God loves you and he is all about you and he is moving and he has done all these things, but he's, he's got some work to do in you. Like he says twice in what we read, he's like, I'm about, I'm about to come back. I'm about to show up for the third time. And when I show up, like you, you ever have your parents tell you, like, look, when I get home from work, better have your room clean. Better have the grass cut. That's kind of what he's doing, saying, I'm about to show up for the third time. And when I get there, you need to have handled your business. I think there's two ways to, to take that. There's two ways even to take this, what I've just been talking about tonight. You could take that as, as a negative. You could take that as a positive. You could take it as like, oh, man, God's like, he must be upset with me, so he wants to like, change himself about me because he's disappointed in me and I'm letting him down and all this kind of stuff. It's like, no, that's not it at all. God looks at you, and he loves you, and he loves me. He says, I created you in my image, and sin messed that up, and I'm, I'm trying to bring you back to that. Like he was talking about, it's almost like a time machine. Like he's like, let me bring you back to the way it was supposed to be the first time. Let me bring you back and make your make the image look like it's supposed to look. Let me restore you. Let me build you up. Like this is God saying, I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm for you. 
And so we can resist that that uh, refinement, or we can just open ourselves up to it and say, whatever it is in me that you want to change, that you want to refine, that you want to bring out, whatever it is, your will be done. Your will be done. And so wherever this lands with you, I don't really know. But I do know this, that God is excited about what's going on in your life. You might be ashamed of it. You might be fed up with it. You might be at, your, at the end of your rope. You might just be kind of nonchalant about it or whatever, but God is excited about where your life is. And he wants to keep bringing us forward, keep bringing us forward. So we examine ourselves, examine our hearts, and we let him do his thing. Let's, let's pray together. Father, um, thank you for, uh, for not, just not getting tired of us, not getting fed up. We thank you that, that Paul was such a good reflection of uh, you being for this church. That he was a tangible reminder to them that even though they had been through a lot, a lot of drama, a lot of whatever, that you were still on their side, that you were still that you still loved them, that you still cared for them, that your desire was to restore and to build. Thank you, God, that you sent Paul into their lives as a physical reminder of how you felt about him. I pray that tonight that we would be that for one another. That we would live lives that that reflect that hope and that future. That we would live lives that are just convinced of your power at work among us. I'm sure in a room like this, there's all kind of things if we're examining our lives that you want to bring to the surface. I just pray that we would be um, that we would be diligent in that, that we would be faithful and obedient to bring our our minds and our hearts, just our lives before you, and to lay them down and just say, Lord, you search us, you test. Test us. Test our anxious thoughts. See if there's anything in us that is unpleasing, that is inconsistent, that is sinful, whatever it is, and that you would lead us in the way. That you would lead us down paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I pray that we would do this and never lose sight of the goodness of our God. This wouldn't be something that we do forgetting who you are, what you have done. That we would not resist this kind of refinement, but that we would, we would welcome it, that we would embrace it, because it's coming from a God who is holy and perfect and full of love and full of, of all knowledge and wisdom, and is coming from the one... The one in the universe, the only one in the universe who always wants the best for us. Because you are good. And you do good.